0: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the AwesomeO.com NFL Strategy Show. You know what day it is, which means you know what time it is. It's the matchup show right here on Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. Going game by game, 11 game breakdown. It's the only place you need to be to get that end of the week information as we head closer to Sunday. I'm Dave Lochran at Twitter, at uh, find me on Twitter at Lafay underscore D, L O U G H Y underscore D. With me as always, Matt Savoca. Follow the man at DraftAholic and check out all of his content over at AwesomeO. The matchups column is amazing, the data deep dive is in front of the paywall. It's awesome as well. There's no reason they should be free, but since they are, there's no reason you shouldn't be reading them. Matt, what's going on, brother?
2: Hey, great to be here. We had the uh, the week off because of the Thanksgiving holiday, and uh, it was it was fun to hang out with you and Alex Baker on the, uh, the, on the Contrary Show, but there just wasn't enough time to get all those takes out, so I'm glad to be back in our long-form show talking about every game.
1: So um, we're happy to have you guys with us, but well, you knew that already. Hit that thumbs up you're just walking in the door, if you're watching the replay, if you're listening in podcast form, uh, well, you can't do it in the podcast form, but you can leave us a review and you can rate the podcast, which is greatly appreciated. But hey, hit that subscribe button here on the YouTubes. Uh, Matt, I've, I've succumbed to the idea that we're not getting the 50,000 by the end of the month. I try. It's not no, happening. we're
2: going to try. We're going to keep going. We got to get that final push.
1: I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist in some respects, but I'm also a realist. Now, maybe, maybe as basketball season happens and starts up, we might get a huge push for basketball. It's possible. We have awesome basketball content. So, you know, football as well. But if you like what we do, you want to support us, and you think sometime, somehow along the way or sometime along the way, we've helped you guys win some money or just become a better DFS player or maybe look at the game differently, hit that thumbs up and subscribe to the channel because it does help us a lot. All right, Matt, you ready to do this thing?
2: Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's do it.
1: All right. Let me take a deep breath and get started. We got some time on our hands. <laughs> Cleveland at Tennessee, the Titans laying five and a half points uh, at home in this one. Cleveland's played pretty good football this season. They're uh 53 and a half point total, though, is pretty shocking. I love it. I love to know that this game is at the time projected to be one of the bigger you know, potential shootouts of the week. But it's it's the one thing that's strange to me is I know Jarvis Landry had himself a game last week. It's the first game without Odell Beckham that he hasn't played in torrential downpours or hurricane-force winds, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. Uh, but aside from that, the, the passing game has been something that Kevin Stefanski has tried to mask this year, and we all know that. So my one issue with the, a, a shootout is I like Nick Chubb against pretty much any team at this point, although he's a bit pricey. He's getting... Basically 20 carries every week. Kareem Hunt is getting worked in. He's pretty cheap. They're running the ball as much as humanly possible. So the question to you, as we start with Cleveland, is do we have a concern here with this total that Cleveland, if this game doesn't get out of hand in favor of Tennessee, that Cleveland's going to look to run the ball and control time of possession as we've seen them do so often in 2020?
2: Yeah. I mean, the basic basic question is, is Cleveland going to control the game? And I think against Tennessee, there is absolutely no guarantee of that. I think when you look at the, when you compare offenses right now, you think you, you, you would think that Tennessee actually with Derrick Henry, of course, but also with Ryan Tannehill, having another efficient season would actually have the edge in controlling this game. Also, I noticed that the total has come down over the course of the week. It was actually up at 54 to start the week, which really surprised me. And I think it's smart that it is coming down. But both, both of these teams would rather control the game flow by running the ball, which actually leads me to the under still, even though it continues to move down. Now, looking at the expected points for both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you're looking at two top 12 running backs in terms of just the expected points. And then they're both performing at or above expectation on a per game basis so you could always play them in a strong matchup in this case i don't feel like it's that strong and the Osmo projections really agree with me here the the projections for nick chubb and kareem hunt are not bullish this week compared to their salary based expectations i think nick chubb's already at the running back three in price there's a discount from those top two running backs including derrick henry in this game but i'm not feeling great about it at all
1: no if nick chubb was was coming in at you know, a lower seven or upper six K price, I think for me, it'd be a lot easier to make this decision. Uh, if I was getting, you know, seven K Nick Chubb where we saw him last week in the same neighborhood as you know, Aaron Jones and such, it'd be a lot easier to get there. I, I, I'm with you. The, the running back position too, is just very deep this week. There are a few guys that we can pretty much lock in similar, if not more volume with pass catching upside at similar prices, that I think is going to open a lot of things up and we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, The passing game for Cleveland though, let's assume that Cleveland doesn't control the time of possession. They don't control this game. Do we have to look back to to someone like Jarvis Landry, whose price has come up from last week at 5,200 to 6,200 following the only game this season where he has crossed a hundred yards and also the only game this season where he has scored a touchdown.
2: Yeah. It's great to see a player like Jarvis Landry seem to round back into form and you're right there has been weather related issues in just the general performance of the passing offense but we know what the Cleveland Browns want to do, even if they get behind. Yes, we're going to see an increase in targets for Landry, but we're also just going to see them lean more on Kareem Hunt. They're still going to keep their offensive identity similar, and and that makes sense. You're not basing your offense around throwing the ball to Rashard Higgins or Kaderil Hodge yet, although they have been good in spots this season. With Jarvis Landry, now you're looking at a top 14 wide receiver in terms of salary. And in expected points, obviously, this season, it's been sort of a lost year. He's still outside the top thirty five in expected fantasy points per game and when you look at the Tennessee defense, they've actually been pretty good covering wide receivers they're uh They're actually yeah above average in fantasy points uh, below expectation, giving up about one less fantasy point per game compared to season-long averages of their opponents. So in reality here, just this doesn't jump off the page for me as an exciting passing offense, unless, unless you think Tennessee controls the flow of the game so much in the first half that Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns are forced into this pass-first offense. But even then, we haven't really seen efficiency on large volume at all for Baker Mayfield. Anytime he's been over eight yards per attempt, it's been on low volume this year. So that has me concerned as well.
1: Yeah. And then guys like Austin Hooper. I don't know. Overall, this total looks pretty appealing, but it's tough to make a decision on which one of these guys you want to go to. Like, are you right now, if you were to bet this game, would you be betting the under?
2: I would be, I would be. I just think these are two If you just look at the pace of play, these are two of the slower teams in the league. And if you look at adjusted rush rates, which is now on the uh, advanced stats page on Osmo.com, you have the Browns at sixth overall in adjusted rush rate and the Titans at third overall in adjusted rush rate. That makes me concerned about just the number of plays that get played in this game, even if there are points scored.
1: So, and that's fair, but here's where I'm going to leave the reservation on you a little bit, uh, Matt. Uh, I, I actually don't hate the idea of going with some, some Tennessee stacks. And and the reason for this is if they do get up early and I think it's doable again, like, you know, Vegas's job is to get equal action on both sides of a, of a line, right? On both sides of a total. So if it's at 53 and a half right now, and we haven't seen a whole lot of movement, let me just make sure we haven't, because I don't believe we have. Uh, it opened at 52. Okay, so it was bet up to 53 Oh, and a half. really?
2: Yeah. Bet- I don't know where I got 54 from. I'm sorry if I led people astray with that number. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say it was at 54? I got 54 on Monday, but I'm not going to say you're wrong there.
1: Okay, well, let's see here. I can I can pull it up and and, and make sure that that's not the case. Uh, I'm hold on a second. Well, either way, while I do this, uh, the the point is that Ryan Tannehill is one of those guys who, if you go to Derrick Henry early and often, it doesn't matter. Ryan Tannehill is not going to have a great day. However, he also does have some big games this season where they have thrown it in goal to go situations. They have gotten down to the ten or. Or wherever it was, and, and, and ended up passing for three or four touchdowns. Against Houston, four passing touchdowns, 366 yards, 34 fantasy points. Against Jacksonville, uh, four passing touchdowns, 27 DraftKings points. He's had a couple of games this season where he has popped off. Oh, Buffalo, three touchdowns, two, uh, 195 yards, and a rushing touchdown for Tannehill. He does actually have a ceiling, whereas I think a lot of us ignore that often. I I like the idea of knowing that – and A.J. Brown is, in my opinion, overpriced. The, the volume has not been there for him this year, but that's all oh, – I'm sorry, as an elite receiver, he hasn't seen the same type of volume as a lot of these guys, but Correct. only 6% ownership. Uh, Corey Davis is not getting any ownership at all. Oh, I'm sorry, 14% ownership. He's getting more than these guys, but still – uh, if this is a high total and these stacks come in on their own, I will be getting to some of it, even though I, though I understand that it may not be the optimal play. Again, it's been bet up a few points Um and maybe it was 54, but even if it was Matt, that's still 53 and a half and it, and it hasn't moved. So if you take either one of them, you know, there's yeah. something to be said for that.
2: Yeah. And and what we're really saying, regardless of where the line started and where it is now, is that there's a lot of points to be expected in this right. game, especially on the Tennessee side. So those points have to come from somewhere. And Ryan Tannehill is actually sixth in my true drive success rate metric, which I look at in the data deep dive every week. That's his ability to turn drives into touchdowns, the name of the game in football. Uh, and it's regressed based on sample size. So the more drives you put in for a year, the more we are sure about that, that metric. So rating sixth over the course of 12 weeks is fantastic for Tannehill. And he's actually third in the league in expected points added per play. So not only is Derek Henry a beast for this offense, and you can absolutely say as the, as the film grinders would, that the offense runs through Henry, but from a pure efficiency standpoint on a per play basis, there hasn't been many quarterbacks better than Ryan Tannehill. And you mentioned it, the quality of his receivers, just take salary out of it for a minute. And Corey Davis, AJ Brown, and Jonu Smith is extremely high. Yet I completely agree with you that a wide receiver five salary for AJ Brown is extremely steep. We're still trying to project him into the top 12, and we're not sure we can do that every week. We're not ready to call him a top five receiver, even if the talent might get him there one day. You know, he had to take a special teams play to the house, which obviously was incredible, but it's also unsustainable because it's not volume-based. So I think I'd rather take a look at Corey Davis, who has a $5,100 salary, and that's outside the top 25 receivers. And I think I I do like him more than Jonu Smith, who, again, I got to be better about these touchdown-dependent tight ends because that's really what we're looking for in the tight end position but it's just really hard for me is the way I, I look at DFS and fantasy football in general to pick these low-volume guys who just keep finding the end zone. But you can't deny Johnny Smith's been incredible at it, one of the leaders in touchdowns this season. Still, the Osmo projection sees him more as a top-12 option instead of seventh, which is what a salary-based expectation is.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about those touchdown-dependent Uh, tight ends just look no further than Robert Tunyon who I mentioned yesterday is fourth in fantasy points at the tight end position this season who would have thought that's absurd T.J. Hawkinson's third and he hasn't even been that Uh, we saw the
2: same thing with Mark Andrews too last year where he had a ton of touchdowns didn't even have a full snap share I know very hard to see he wasn't even getting
1: 50 percent of the snaps right it's crazy um at Odd Shopper we have it opening at 53 so uh, meet you in the middle there matt uh, oddshopper. it's amazing you can go in and see the matchup for everything uh, that's what i just did went in there you can see the line movement you can see the the, the movement on the spread on the total on the money line uh, you can see where the public money's coming in you can see where the public bets are coming in uh you know money over bets with with all of that stuff right now let's see 85 percent wow 85 percent of bets are coming in
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: On Tennessee to win this game, um, 72% of the money's on Tennessee. 85. Wow. 86% is on Tennessee minus five and a half too. Now it's minus six. And wow. on the total... It's split down the middle. Forty nine percent of bets are coming in on the over. Fifty point six are coming in on the under, or, or other way around.
2: But still, basically this feels the- a little bit like the public perception of the Browns is still leaking in to to this bet here a little bit. This is an eight and three football team in a stacked AFC.
1: Yeah, I uh, I'm not
2: saying that, you know, top to bottom, they have as talented as an of an offense, but they're getting healthier on defense. They just activated Miles Garrett. There's absolutely no guarantee that Tennessee walks all over them. Uh, I was kind of looking at it from a is this a shootout perspective? And I'm, I'm still concerned about that. But the Browns absolutely have a shot here. I'd put it, you know, at 51, 49, 50, something like that. This is a this is a toss up to me.
1: I hear you. But I'll just say this much and then we'll move on because I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Although there are a couple of games we're not going to spend a lot of time <laughs> on at all. Uh, if this game does look like it's going to go vastly on their own for a number of reasons uh, and just people don't want to play the quarterbacks, you know, maybe people are all going to the running backs, whenever a game's got a total upwards of fifty-three and a half, fifty-four 54 points, there's definitely a possibility that it shoots out through the air. And we've seen Tennessee on so many occasions this year Get involved in games that go north of 60, even 70 total points. So if this goes on their own and Tannehill comes in around 5 6%, and A.J. Brown, no one wants to pay for him, I will definitely have some lineups where I say, you know what? Screw it. I'll take some shots because A.J. Brown, after the catch, can give me two 50-, 60-yard touchdowns on a 10-yard on a curl route, Matt.
2: So Reminds me of early Odell Beckham. It's fun to watch.
1: Yep, no question. Indianapolis and Houston the Indianapolis Colts on the road here against a Houston team that let's give them some credit, man, Romeo Cornell coming in there, cracking the whip <laughs> teams looking good. They, they have no reason to tank because they have no draft picks. So, right. you know, get morale high end the season on a positive note. Now, Will Fuller's gone. Bradley Roby's gone. Just, just end the season on a high note and do what you can because you ain't getting a draft pick. They're three and a half point dogs at home. This game has a 51-point total. Uh, Indianapolis will start with the Colts on the road. Matt, assuming Jonathan Taylor returns to the mix this week, uh, and, and I have no reason to believe that he won't because um, he was activated. Yeah, he was yes, activated. Yes, he was. Yeah, so I have no reason to believe that he won't be back. He should be. Now you get this muddled muddled backfield once again. Uh, you have T.Y. Hilton finally coming off of a game where he looked somewhat respectable, got into the end zone on a day where everyone finally gave up on him. Uh, and then, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., so on and so forth. Trey Burton might get a rushing or receiving touchdown. It's a tough team to target right now.
2: Yeah, well said. And it's still a situation where even though Michael Pittman is starting to emerge as that number one option yeah. in this offense over the last few weeks, he's definitely led the team and weighted opportunity share. It's still not a consolidated offense. This is something that I mentioned in the on the contrary show last week. The reason people gravitate toward the Indianapolis Colts running game is because we have more certainty in that three headed monster than we do in the multitude of options in the passing game that Phillip rivers leans on, not to mention he throws plenty of passes to the running backs. So there's not always that much volume for the wide receivers and tight ends. So I'll first start with your first question. I do think Jonathan Taylor comes back into play and he is the highest salary Colts running back this weekend. That concerns me. uh, Just as I said with the Browns running backs, we're talking about Taylor who's underperformed this season based on early season expectations, especially once Marlon Mack went down. He's 20th in expected fantasy points per game and outside the top 40 running backs in fantasy points under expected per game. So it really concerns me that we have to pay the most salary for any running back on this team for him at 5,700 this weekend on the main slate. The Osmo projections are kind of in line with my uncertainty here. They're, they're a little bit below, but not at a full fade. I'd much rather get to Naheem Hines who still leads the team in quality opportunities. That's targets and goal line carries. Obviously he's getting mostly targets. Uh, You know, the Osmo projections have him as a possible top 10 back and, he's just getting 10% of ownership. That's eighth among running backs. It's still a situation where if I have uncertainty about the passing game, I know Phillip rivers is going to lean on his passing down running back. So that's the first person I go to, especially at that slight salary discount.
1: All right. So the the total in this game is relatively high. We've, we, we begin that we've begun to actually see totals come down a little bit uh, over the past several weeks. I have no idea if it's COVID related, injury related, or, you know, teams are finally finding their footing this far. Into the, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to pretend that I do. Maybe can I, so much- can I uh,
2: offer a possibility? Please. I think it is the uh, two things weather changing. Obviously we saw a really cold game in Baltimore and Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and we saw lots of drops mm-hmm. because of it. And two, when we get divisional opponents and they're playing each other for the second time, I, I actually mentioned this incorrectly on a previous matchup show, but we often see the underhit and quarterbacks underperforming in these second matchups. That and makes that kind sense. of makes sense.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. That's why on the strategy show, you know, I took a lot of heat for saying that Baltimore covers yesterday and that, you know, they could, they could make a game of this despite being down a hundred players, Matt, when you're backed up against the wall and, and I listen, people, I'm not a narrative guy, but there are certain instances where in football, I will consider things. And when you're backed into a corner, and if Baltimore lost that game, their divisional hopes are, are done dash right. gone. Like they still had a, a ton to play for. And Pittsburgh has played down to opponents this year. I think we can all agree. Like this
2: played, year, every year, year. that. Yes,
1: you're right. <laughs> every year you got the Jersey back there. Like every year they play down to opponents and then they play up to better opponents. And uh, you know, people, people will say like, Oh yeah, they backdoored it with that Marquise Brown. Well, if Luke Wilson didn't drop an easy touchdown in the end zone that would have put him ahead at halftime, we wouldn't have been worried about that. All I'm saying is, um, again, Matt, the spread, the totals, they're there to get equal action on both sides. So when you see something and it looks too good to be true, like, oh, my God, Steelers are only 10 and a half point favorites. Well, it usually is too good to be true. Not mm-hmm. always. But it doesn't mean it will cover. It just means like when people are saying, oh, 30 point blowout. Generally speaking, that that's not true. And credit Baltimore's right. defense, and thank you for the drops, Deontay Johnson. Okay, <laughs> uh, on the Houston side, you and I discussed this actually a little bit before the show. Listen up, guys, because this is this is where it'll get interesting, and I think you'll appreciate this conversation. If you have anything to throw it in chat, uh, good comments I always try to hit on. And one good comment was someone mentioned that I forgot, and you did. Uh, Denzel Ward not going to play this week, which is even better for if you're AJ Brown, uh, unless you saw that Ward is playing, but I saw that he's unlikely to play. I don't know. Maybe he's ruled out. Um, let's see here. I am pretty sure he's unlikely. And I, I think he's doubtful to play, but you can let me know.
2: Yeah. It says question. It says questionable on ESPN injuries right now. Check it out as we, as okay, we keep yeah, I read chugging that he forward. He wasn't
1: likely, but anyway, Brandon cooks, 31.1% ownership. Um, I'm Kyle Dvorak and I disagreed on this yesterday. I believe Matt did too. And yes, I believe volume is King, but Matt, I also believe that as good of a receiver, Brandon cooks is, he's not really an alpha number one receiver. And without another outside guy like Will Fuller out there, I don't know if he's going to be able to give us the type of numbers or even the type of volume that we're expecting. So all I'm saying, if he's going to be 30 plus percent, I personally will be tempering expectations And this, believe it or not, against the Colts, may be a spot that I get away from a little bit. I'm willing to take that risk.
2: Yeah. Deshaun Watson is an incredible quarterback. And he probably finds a way to keep the Houston Texans offense from imploding for the rest of the season. But let's not pretend that losing Will Fuller isn't like losing Cortland Sutton in Denver or losing Julio Jones for a period of time in Atlanta. And I know the public perception about Will Fuller isn't at that level. They don't think of him as this primary alpha wide receiver because he was drafted as this speed guy, and especially with DeAndre Hopkins on the team, he was just this perfect blanker number 2 option. But the bottom line is, they felt comfortable, at least Bill O'Brien did, moving Hopkins because they felt like Will Fuller could do everything in this offense. And I believe there's a reason why Brandon Cooks keeps moving for a first round pick and then gets shipped away. And it's because he can't actually do everything within an offense. Now, I won't call myself an expert in film grindery research. That's not my style. I'm definitely a numbers guy here. But I think that the overall offensive efficiency on a per play and per drive and likely per game basis goes down overall with the Houston Texans. And that makes me worried about Brandon Cooks, especially – when the entire field looks like they're going to be on him. He's the high, projected to be the highest owned wide receiver on the entire slate. By a I, wide margin, by the way. I just see warts on the profile. I know the median projection is going to look strong, and, and that's very easy to say. I mean, you mentioned some great stat, or some great facts about what we should look for in a Vegas line and about how they want 50% of the action on both sides, but we can also use it as a proxy for what we can call game environment what we believe the, not only the amount of points scored, but the amount of drives that often end in scores, the yeah. yards per attempt, the, the basic efficiency of the players involved. And I see a situation where there's a lot that could go wrong on the Texan side because they're just a different offense. That's the bottom line. I see uh, a lot more upside actually for Kiki Kuti. He's been talked up by Deshaun Watson multiple times this season, and there's really no one left to play that underneath role. So they're going to need somebody else to step up. I I honestly hope I'm wrong with Brandon Cooks with so many people going there. But I'm still looking at a number two option miscast as a number one right now.
1: And then Jordan Aikens also is, and and, and I agree. Look, this isn't to say that Cooks can't have a big game. He's explosive, right? If he gets loose downfield, it's a wrap. Of course. Of course. Uh, I think all I'm saying is, I wouldn't be banking double-digit targets. DeAndre Hopkins-like targets for Brandon Cooks' each game. I think you would be ill-advised taking that approach. Um, but, yes, Brandon Cooks can break big plays off. We've seen him do it this, this season. So, if he has a big game, it wouldn't surprise me. But I'm also not terrified to fade him here either. Or, sorry, come in underweight. Jordan Aikens is another one, $2,900. Uh, Matt, because we are definitely moving slowly today, I'll ask you to be quick <laughs> with this one. I'm at fault as well. But uh, Jordan Akins, he's getting a lot of ownership at tight end, but he's $2,900. They're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. Is there any interest here?
2: Uh, no, not really. I I know we don't take matchup-based or position-based defensive metrics all too seriously, especially with tight ends. But, you know, they're giving up three points under season-long averages to tight ends this uh, this season, the Colts are. So I don't think that this is a great matchup over the middle at all. Again, Deshaun Watson has to throw to somebody. They have to get points somehow, but I think there are better options. Uh, He's 24th in salary, 2,900. Of course, that's why people are gravitating that way, but yeah, maybe just the stack. Deshaun Watson is the top stack in our top stacks tool, and so that's an easy correlation we can get from a cheap tight end. I kind of get it.
1: I haven't been particularly high on Darren Waller lately just because been very chalky and you got to pay for him, which oftentimes forces you to sacrifice at other positions, but the Raiders are seven and a half point road favorites against the only winless team in the league, the New York jets, 47 point total here. You know, I, I come back to somebody like Darren Waller and while he's getting around 14% ownership this week, this does feel like a spot where he could absolutely smash. And I will get to Josh Jacobs in a moment. He sounded confident that he would play earlier in the week. But guess what? As we say all the time with ankle injuries and with those type of lower body injuries, you, you think you're fine, and then the next day it's like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not fine. Maybe no practice on Wednesday is usually a, a, a pretty worrisome sign. So I don't have any information now. We'll wait to see what his practice participation is today. Deontay Booker or Devonte Booker could surely have some value here. But I want to start with Darren Waller in the passing
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Game against the Jets secondary that's been carved to pieces all season long.
2: Sure. And why not go to Darren Waller against the Jets? Like this is such an easy play. If we want certainty at the tight end without Travis Kelsey on the main slate, we're going to have to look at Darren Waller. So it's not really my style to play these high-owned, high-priced tight ends in most situations in most daily fantasy football lineups, but I'm not going to fault anybody for just taking the high total versus the Jets, calling it a day with one of the most unpredictable positions in fantasy football. Darren Waller has a fine target share, a fine air yard share. He ranks second in tight ends in expected fantasy points per game, although he's performing about a point per game under expectation this season. And while the... Derek Carr, Darren Waller stack isn't the most exciting thing in the world. Stacking anybody against the Jets is never a bad idea this season. So I completely understand if you just want to get that part of your lineup out of the way, move forward. It's it's absolutely fine. The Jets are giving up two more fantasy points than opponent average to tight ends this season. That's absolutely fine.
1: Okay. So... Do you have any other interest in the Raiders right now? I'll throw this over to you, Matt, because there are some uncertainties here. Like, can you ever play Nelson Aguilar or Hunter Renfro in a really good matchup? And what are we doing with the ground game?
2: Yeah. So with Josh Josh Jacobs, I worry this is one of those situations where he does play with the questionable tag. And if you just look at it from a data analysis perspective, any running back that comes into a game with the questionable tag on average performs worse than his season long average. It's usually a couple points, three to four, but we know that there's variance in there. He's playing the jets. I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but they're going to score points. And if he just needs to plunge in the end zone, he doesn't have to be his normal elusive self. He has been one of the most elusive backs in the league this year. He just has to power through for three to four yards of carry and get in the end zone as needed that still leads me a little bit to these Derek Carr stacks because they have to get down the field enough times to score. And if Jacobs isn't going to be the engine of the offense, and by the way, he rarely catches passes as it is. I'm probably going to look elsewhere, especially when he's a top five salary. If he doesn't play, that totally changes. I'm all for Devonte Booker. That's going to be one of the smash plays of the slate
1: on the jet side. I had a, there was a a few YouTube comments the other day saying like, Hey, you don't need to run back stacks with jets players. And I would agree with you. And this is, this is a general statement, not just a week 13 statement. I would agree with you. But what I would also say is, and I did say, I don't mind doing that in some instances, especially on weeks where value is scarce. You know, if there's a dearth of value options at every position and I can say, all right, give me the, you know, give me a, a receiver on a team that's almost certainly going to play from behind and be forced to throw the ball, even if they're not super effective, and give them to me close to minimum salary. I can make a pretty good argument for that. And Denzel Mims this year, uh, while he hasn't been spectacular, you've had games, three straight double-digit fantasy point games. Uh, is it going to be the single-handedly the reason why you win? No, but that's not going to kill you either. Uh, Brashad Perriman, sub-4K, uh, he has now seen three decent games in a row, and the target seven, four, and eight. I'm not over here advocating that, that I like the Jets this week, but if you are stacking the Raiders, uh, I, I'm not entirely opposed to running it back with one of these guys simply for salary relief. I don't think you need to, but uh, I'm not entirely against it either. I hate the ground game, though, and this team, for the most part, has just been absolutely horrid on offense, Matt.
2: Yeah, that's the bottom line is you don't really play running backs on offenses who don't score, period. That's the fundamental rule of fantasy football. We want running backs who are going to have a chance not only to catch passes, but get in the end zone. That's very simple. But at the very least with the Jets, we can say that their offense is consolidated in the passing game. In my data deep dive, when I look at the top two in weighted opportunity stacks and top three in weighted opportunity stacks, the Jets are top five in both metrics with Denzel Mims really popping in terms of area yard share and target share, as you mentioned. And one of the things we can take advantage of, well, at least to an extent, it's the Jets again. Jamison Crowder is still the most, the highest salary wide receiver on this team while he hasn't gotten that type of opportunity over the last few weeks. Basically, since Mims has gotten on the field, he's been the wide receiver one. But then you have this, this other force of Rashad Perriman scoring all the fantasy points. So he's actually third in line in salary. So when, when you're talking about a 3,900 wide receiver in Rashad Perriman, who could have a big game on just three catches, that can be somewhat appealing, especially if you're talking about a runback option. Am I telling you to stack the Jets right now because they're a consolidated option? No, but I'm telling you, it fundamentally isn't the worst idea when we feel like we can have so much of the volume around two or three receivers, not on the running game at all, like you said, but I see, uh, the sky's the limit for Denzel Mims, especially if he gets a quarterback in the future.
1: Yeah, no question about it. He has been, he has proven that uh, in, the, in the, the infancy of his career, with no good quarterbacking, he's still capable of putting up respectable enough numbers. Like you said, you give him a decent quarterback, we could be in business.
2: I mean, do a little thought experiment here. Assume they get a running back in the second or third round of the draft. It's a pretty good class coming up, and they get a quarterback in the first round. You know, Crowder, Mims, and Perryman assuming health, that's a solid trio. It's we not be talking bad about this at team. All.
1: Two outside guys and one of the better slot men in the league. Yeah. You're right. That could be decent but they need a quarterback. But again, that's what I'm saying. Like these guys are good enough to where even if they have quarterbacking that isn't downright awful for a week, there might be a decent game there. And like like you said, I'm not advocating stacking the Jets. Hell, I'm not advocating stacking the Raiders. As a matter of fact, I hate stacking the Raiders because outside of Darren Waller, I have zero idea where the ball's ever going to go to. But I will say that this game could very much align to be – Raiders having the score through the air. If Jacob sits, because listen, Devontae Booker, yes, he might be your fill in guy. Uh, He might be the guy that gets the bulk of the work, but Matt, I can tell you two things. One, Devontae Booker got those opportunities in Denver and never really, never really capitalized on them. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like he is this stellar backup going to come in and, and, and rip defenses apart. And second, Another issue I have with that that I haven't heard talked about at all this week, and maybe you can quickly shed some light on it, is the fact that Jalen Richard was out with a neck injury and, or a chest injury, and then he got off the injury report and was re, uh, re, or he was put back on it with a non-COVID illness, so he didn't play week 11 or week 12. If Jalen Richard is active, why should I believe that he's not getting the passing down work and Devontae Booker's just getting the work on the ground?
2: You know, that's a great point. And they also tend to get creative when they don't have Jacobs in the game too. We've seen their fullback Alec Ingold get quality looks too, which is terrible for all fantasy players because no one's starting him. So that's a great point. Now, Jalen Richard is more of a receiving down, scat back type of player. But in terms of quickness, he probably has Devontae Booker beat. So if they do see that as the best way to exploit the Jets, just get, get somebody open in space, then yeah, I see what you're saying there. I just fundamentally think that playing a starting running back on a team that's implied for more than 25 points, playing the worst defense in the league is usually a decent idea. But I hear what you're saying. There's a there's ways that could go wrong, Absolutely.
1: I don't have any issues with it either. I'm just saying I'm not convinced that they're going to be able – that they're just going to lean on the run as much as they would if Josh Jacobs were in the game. That's what I'm saying. But it's not like Josh Jacobs has been particularly efficient either. So who knows? Maybe they're willing to do that and just run the clock out. I guess that's possible, especially given the fact that the Jets have such trouble scoring. But let's move on. The New Orleans Saints at the Atlanta Falcons. You've got now the Falcons – Four or three point dogs at home, 45 and a half point total coming off that absolute drubbing over the Las Vegas Raiders in Atlanta. They smoked them I mean, an embarrassing upset loss for the Raiders. What was yeah. it 30 to six or something absurd.
2: Um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't say enough about that when we, because the jets obviously, but man, the Raiders just did not show up at all last week. They I'm got sorry. I digress.
1: On. Yeah, it was, it was really bad. And, and, you know, of course, when you look at, at how that unfolded, the, the turnovers did nothing to help them. Uh, Derek Carr lost three fumbles and got picked off. He had four turnovers. Not good, but I digress. The New Orleans Saints without Drew Brees have been predictable, more so in a fantasy sense that they have for other defenses. At this point, Alvin Kamara, uh, Alvin Kamara has been essentially relegated to a role where I don't necessarily think any of us have any confidence in him. And he was a limited participant in yesterday's practice. My assumption is still that he will play, but only three targets now, Matt, over his last two games. Contrast that to the games before that, 8, 9, 14, 4, 10, 8, 13, 6, 8. No, 1 and 2 over his last two games. And Latavius Murray last week was the one that shouldered the heaviest load in the, on the ground. I am very much concerned about Alvin Kamara so long as Taysom Hill is, is, is under center.
2: Yep. I mean, you ripped the bandaid off there. He's not a number one back right now. He simply isn't because of the way that Taysom Hill plays under center. He's taking a bulk of those carries where Drew Brees would dump it off and let Kamara go to work. Taysom Hill is fine tucking it and running it himself. Now there has been some bad luck involved in terms of goal line carries. So much has swayed towards Hill and towards Murray over the last few weeks, that we could actually see some touchdown regression because we still believe the Saints could score plenty of points you know, after their bye week. I mean, playing the Broncos last week. Uh, they, you know, they still haven't really been tested since that last game with the Falcons. And one thing I was going to say as we look into this matchup, this game literally just happened two weeks ago, and the Saints pretty much tore it up. So we have to look at this from a public perception. That's what most of the public is going to believe happens again. Kamara didn't get targets. Taysom Hill ran it and he passed efficiently. That is no guarantee at all. We actually talked about this a little bit already, where when you play division opponents for a second time, you can sort of get these wonky, more higher variant scores, and it often hits the under in these games. So I'm kind of speaking out of two sides of my mouth right now saying that the Saints- might just be different and or worse, but Kamara might actually be better a better play than the public thinks. That's really because I think there is some goal line carry regression so long as the Saints actually move the ball on offense.
1: Okay. I hope you're right. <laughs> it's crazy, though. The last two games, Latavius Murray has played more combined snaps than Alvin Kamara, a higher percentage of snaps than Alvin Kamara. And- He's an
2: auxiliary role right now on this On this rush-first offense, he's the passing down back.
1: Can we give uh, Sean Payton some credit for completely reconstructing and redefining what this offense looks like in the matter of one week? He could have easily thrown Jameis Winston in there and given him the same playbook as Drew Brees or at least something similar. Instead, he, he threw it all out the window.
2: I think he thrives on this. I don't know. It's just a hunch. I think like Sean Payton's one of those evil genius with the laboratory, down in the laboratory, and he's been waiting to unleash this on the league for like four years.
1: (laughs) Really impressive stuff, man. Now, they haven't exactly faced a murderer's row of opponents. They faced a Denver team that was using a practice squad wide receiver as their starting quarterback. Understandable. But it has been been a, a, a marvel to see exactly what he's been able to do with Taysom Hill. I just, quite frankly, Matt, don't think I really want anything from this team right now. I know you said Kamara might be better than he looks. Um, I don't know. Maybe Latavius Murray with twenty or 31 carries over his last two games is fine. But I'm still a little worried that he's priced up too much for me and he's not involved in the passing game. Nobody is. I'm probably getting away from the Saints a little bit. And, and you know what is, is most alarming? I think you'll agree with me on this. Anytime you see a Saints-Falcons game with a 45-and-a-half point total, that should be cause for concern
2: yeah i agree and, and you know i kind of feel like the falcons are a lot healthier than they were two weeks ago certainly last week and there's the possibility that their offense just shows up a lot more in this game especially at home which forces the saints to do so as well and if that's the case if they're
0: passive with the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere First of all, we
2: have no guarantee that Taysom Hill isn't going to turn into a pumpkin as a passer. We just don't know yet. But at the very least, Michael Thomas is being used as that primary alpha wide receiver that that we thought he would be when we came into this season. Uh, If you, again, refer to the data deep dives, top two and top three wide receiver stacks, the Saints with Thomas and Sanders are finally back in the top 10. And it took Taysom Hill being under center for that to happen. So I like the at least Thomas in the receiving game a little bit more than it sounds like you do. But I think I like the Falcon side better in general as well.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about them. Then Uh, Julio Jones was sidelined last week. Um, He was limited at practice on Wednesday. I'm going to assume that Julio Jones does play this week. Calvin Ridley's also got that Q tag limited in practice. You're going to see a lot of this as the season winds down for sure. Given how uh, turbulent it's been all year. Uh, but we also don't know what's going on with Todd Gurley. And I'll tell you right now, if Gurley sits, you know, Brian Hill was popular last week. That was my biggest fade uh, just for a number of reasons. And we can talk about that probably unnecessary, but Edo Smith saw seven red zone looks to, to, uh, to Hills one. He saw only one fewer carry, but outproduced him. He saw five targets to Brian, to Brian Hills one, So Ito Smith, you know, as you like to put it, Matt, like quality opportunity share was much better than Brian Hills. But uh, even if Todd Gurley is out, this is a tough matchup. This New Orleans defense is very, very good on the ground, but it sounds like you are interested in Atlanta. So talk to me about why.
2: Yes. It's about their overall health. I mean, I've said this, it feels like five, six times on these matchup shows where once you get Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley on the field, I just need a replacement level running back. It sounds like Todd Gurley's in line to play and he's already practicing this week, which is great, but give me the passing game all day here. I'd much rather go to Matt Ryan and Julio Jones or Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley, or maybe even both. If I can swing it salary wise in a game where I think they're going, I think they're going to try to pass the ball on a saints defense that has been completely stifling opposing run games. They've uh, the saints rank uh, second in the league. In fantasy points allowed under expectation, they're almost like 10 points per game less than uh, their opponent's season-long averages. So even if Gurley plays, I'm not really that excited about the running game at all. And you said it, Edo Smith had more opportunities than Brian Hill and more quality opportunities than Brian Hill. I'm not interested in that backfield as a committee at all, especially when all of the passing game pieces are back in line.
1: Yeah, I'll be staying away from that. Where are you at with Julio and Calvin? Are these two spots that you like this week?
2: Sorry about that. Yeah, I do. I like it. Uh, Julio Jones is still just 12th in wide receiver salary. It's 6,600 at a player that I know could absolutely outperform that. He's in it, yes, a divisional spot, so we could see some wonkiness in terms of scoring. I like Julio Jones with uncertainty more than I like Julio Jones with high ownership and a ton of certainty. Yes, he's the, he looks like the seventh highest in projected ownership right now, but even that little bit of uncertainty, I'll take it with him.
1: All right. Let's talk about Detroit and Chicago here. By the way, if you guys are just tuning in, hit that subscribe button and like the video, like the stream where you're watching afterwards, whatever, doesn't matter. If you like what we do here, help us out. Hit those buttons. Smash them, as they say, Matt. Detroit and Chicago. We've got the uh the Detroit Lions who got rid of Matt Patricia. Did you see the did you see this burner account stuff? Have you seen this?
2: No, fill me in.
1: Okay, so it looks like Matt Patricia might have a legitimate burner account. He has 28, this account has 28 tweets. All of them, the last I looked, every single one of them were in defense of Matt Patricia. Like yeah, if you let Matt Matt Patricia pay, uh, get his guys, they'll crush. Or it's a clown show in there, and he doesn't have any control over this, and they're not letting. Them. It's crazy, right? Incredible. So here's the best part, though. the The username, the, the the display name is Eddie P. Okay, take a guess what Matt Patricia's middle name is. Eddie. It is Edward. <laughs> and his last name starts with a P. So I don't know. Listen. Mate, you would think that people would have learned from the Colangelo blow-up, right? For those yeah. of you guys that follow basketball, the 76ers. But it looks really, really strange. Like, unless this is his kid or his wife or something, there is literally no one in the world that is that defensive of Matt Patricia. There simply cannot be. It's
2: impossible, Matt. That's that's the hill that that account is dying on, and there's no other issue in the world today. I get it. I get yep. it.
1: Yep. Um, <laughs>
2: It's okay, amazing. so Bradley
1: said that it has no – he said it has no affiliation. The, it has no connection to Patricia or the Lions. Here's how the fake burner account came to be. From Dave Burkett, Detroit beat writer. So it's just a random beat writer? Interesting. It's a rant. We'll I don't know. The whole well, that's thing- an
2: unsolved mystery. We still got more to figure out in that one. That's, that's great stuff. It really is oh, incredible. Thanks. Plus, the
1: guy had like over a thousand followers. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't follow up on it because, you know, why would you? But it was funny that it, the Eddie P thing lined up so perfectly and everything looked so great. Let me have my conspiracy theories in peace. That one, <laughs> I'm going
2: down the rabbit hole with you, though.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Detroit Lions uh, are three-point dogs. This is just a bad football team right now. And the one silver lining is that DeAndre Swift is, is looking like he's pretty good. He's still only limited in practice. Like, I don't know. You have to assume he plays this week. I have him in right now, so we're going we're gonna to project him in. Uh, and then Kenny Galladay, who has hurt a lot of us in fantasy leagues this season, he hasn't practiced with that hip. I anticipate him to be out. Let's just start it with DeAndre Swift against Chicago.
2: Yeah, heck yeah. If he's going to play, I mean, I thought that he looked like he was close. And if they had had a Sunday game, it kind of felt like Swift would have played. But of course, they played on Thursday last week. I'm all over DeAndre Swift if he's able to play in this game. Yes, Chicago has been good against opposing running backs, giving up almost six points less than their season-long fantasy averages. But Swift really looked like the, the one game changer on this offense. The only player that can really make plays in space, especially if Kenny Galladay is out, you know, we're not trying to create an offense that leans on Marvin Jones. And even TJ Hawkinson has been disappointing from everything, but a volume perspective this season. So give me the best player on an offense in general. It's not perfect. They're not favored, but I'm still really excited about Swift long-term. And if they unleash him as they did when he last played, I'm absolutely fine with it as the 11th highest salary running back on the slate.
1: So am I. And uh nice Kevin said Swift dropped game winning touchdown in that first matchup with the bears. Yeah. You're absolutely right. He sure did. That should have been a win, but it wasn't. I don't like anything in the passing game here right now, Matt. I just can't get behind it. And um, I don't know what it's going to look like with, with, as far as coaching goes, But can we spend a second and and, and at least acknowledge, and maybe you did, and if you did, just tell me. I was reading chat trying to do two things at once. Uh, With a new coach coming in, does he say, if Swift is active, I don't want to give Adrian Peterson the ball anymore. I'm I'm going to give the young guy the ball who we drafted early in the draft and is extremely explosive with a ton of upside?
2: Well, I get concerned when you have an interim coach who might have – the owner in his ear possibly saying we need to see everything we've got at the end of our benches so that we know who to take and who to keep and who to get rid of next season. As we start to turn probably a huge turnover with that new GM that they eventually hire. So that's really my only concern. I mean, is there any concern from fantasy gamers that Deandre Swift is more talented than carry on Johnson and Adrian Peterson right now? Exactly. There isn't any at all. I mean, we're already talking about a running back and this is using their full their full season he's 11th in expected fantasy points already this season and has performed 1.5 fantasy points per game over expectation you know the others are well below or just at expectation and I can tell you they're both outside the top 30 in expected fantasy points so again from a narrative standpoint I see Swift as the only player with Galladay out worth leaning on and then the metrics back that up as well again completely fine with it at 6,500 I like it a lot
1: me too. I'm all on board. Chicago, by the way, uh, do we have any news on Akeem Hicks?
2: Let's check it out.
1: Because I looked earlier, I got it pulled up here. I think he, I think that's a big deal. It's questionable, but um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have any actual further news on him. If anyone has it in chat, feel free to throw it in there. USA
2: Today five hours ago said the Bears are hopeful he'll be good to go.
1: Hopeful he'll be good to go. Okay, but he started with
2: a mispractice last. It makes
1: a bit of a difference, I can tell you that much. That's a good point. The Chicago side, Allen Robinson, uh, I think I'll probably be on opposite sides of the page with a lot of people on this, but I, I still like him at this price. With Mitch Trubisky at the helm, he's had a, a target share, I think, 37% with Mitch Trubisky on their center this season. Absurd amount of opportunities for Allen Robinson. Sure, Nick Foles targeted him, but, but Mitch Trubisky really leans on him a lot, uh, and we've seen that in essentially every single game this season. So he's also, by the way, even with Foles, he has only two games with less than nine targets. And he's $6,700. Allen Robinson is a bona fide stud. And I have no real concerns about Detroit. While I think you can run Detroit's defense out there because Mitch Trubisky is known for making terrible reads and throwing bad passes, I also think Allen Robinson just basically guaranteeing that volume, not having a cornerback on Detroit that can really scare Trubisky into looking elsewhere is always going to be viable for me. And David Montgomery is getting a lot of ownership this week, third highest on the slate. So I'll let you talk about those guys, Matt.
2: Yeah. So when you're talking about Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, you're really looking at quintessential backup quarterbacks, both of them really. Now some of their advanced metrics look a little bit different, but for the most part, in terms of per drive efficiency, you're kind of getting the same player. So again, it's not exciting. There is definitely ways it could go wrong. But Allen Robinson is one of the top 10 most talented wide receivers in the league. He ranks in the top 10 in expected fantasy points per game. And he's performing right at that expectation, even in this terrible offensive situation. I'm even fine with it, even though it looks like his projected ownership looks like the third highest wide receiver on the slate. It's looking like it's pushing 18% right now. I just think he's fundamentally underpriced for his talent, for his usage. Yes, it's Trubisky. Yes, he's probably going to pass for between five and seven yards per attempt, but the passes are still going to Allen Robinson. I'm excited about Darnell Mooney. I think that he's really started to become the number two option and he's had, uh, Not as many targets as Robinson, but we're talking about six or seven targets in three straight games. So I'm absolutely fine going there if you want to pivot off of a high-owned Robinson. But he's by far the most exciting on this offense in the first place I go.
1: Is there anything else that you think warrants conversation on the Chicago Bears?
2: Yeah, David Montgomery is fundamentally mispriced as well. He's a bell cow running back, yes, on a pretty bad team but he still should be priced in the top 10 running backs just from a usage standpoint alone. Uh, You know, he's averaging over a hundred yard total yards per game over his last eight weeks. It's totally fine. I know he said he's been banged up, but he looked like he was, you know, pretty, pretty strong. Although he did get a bunch of his fantasy points in garbage time last weekend, the expected fantasy points look good. And uh, you're certainly not going to be alone. 24% projected ownership right now, but the Osmo projections really like him compared to salary.
1: Yeah. And another thing too, is when you look at since, uh, since Cohen went down, right. You've got him averaging just shy of 19 looks per game. And you have to consider the fact too, that look, they've been dogs. They they went from five and one to five and six, right. Right. Dogs against green Bay got smoked. He still had a good game though, because with Cohen out, he's, he's like to do it all back dogs against Tennessee. They lost Uh, dogs against new Orleans. They lost dogs to the Rams. They lost dogs. I think they might've been favored against Carolina. I don't remember, but he had 24 looks in that game. So it actually speaks to my point here Uh, and dogs to Tampa Bay and Indianapolis. Those are all the guys. These are all the teams they played since Cohen went down. Look, those are tough teams. Colts, Bucks, Rams, Saints, Titans, Packers. Those are really tough matchups. So the point I'm making is they're actually field goal favorites here. It's not significant, but if the game's competitive, then this actually could be one of those spots where David Montgomery does get a little bit more efficient than we've seen in the past against some pretty difficult matchups because he's had a lot of them.
2: Ninth highest in total yards among running backs in the last eight weeks.
1: Now he just has to find the end zone again. That's really the biggest thing because a lot of those games he would have salvaged big time if he just scored, True. Uh, which he didn't. But I think it's possible in this game. They have a 23.5 point implied total. It's not that bad. It's not that bad yeah, for the Absolutely.
2: Bears. Yeah. No, That I think they're even uh, a possible sneaky stack. I, I saw that they're the fifth-ranked team on the top stacks tool right now. I don't that could change. It. but
1: I don't hate it. I, I honestly don't. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate, though, that the Bears are going to be so um, owned. And whenever a team that has struggled so much offensively is that popular, that's when I tend to get away from them. But Mitchell Trubisky, what's what's Trubisky's ownership right now, projection?
2: Uh, well, right now the projections actually still have foals in, but I'm going to say oh, it's, okay. it's probably going to be around 3 to 5%, like in the QB 14 to 11 range.
1: Wait, do you, who do you think it's going to be?
2: I think they already announced Trubisky. Trubisky. I just saw that the uh, projections and ownership. Okay. So we just
1: need to update that. that. Oh no, we
2: have, we have Mitch in now. What did my computer do to me this morning then?
1: I don't know. Cause I'm looking (laughs) at Trubisky at 7.6%. Beautiful. Yeah.
2: Okay. Giving the people the right info. I love it.
1: There we go. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Uh, I guess it has. What happens with our ownership is like Alex will put somebody else if it's not certain, but we have a good idea of it. He'll put the the other guy in the the ownership projection still, just with very low ownership, which I think is what happened with Nick Foles. Oh, that makes sense. um, Jacksonville and Minnesota. Here's here's what could potentially be a wild game: ten and a half point spread, Vikings at home, laying ten and a half, fifty two and a half point total, which to me is is pretty intriguing. So. Uh, right now, the Vikings have a 31.5 implied total. That is the highest of any team on this slate by almost two points, Matt. Almost two points higher than the Titans. But we'll start with Jacksonville here. Is, is Garner Minshew going to be starting this week? Um, I, I don't think he is, right? Mike Glennon is still getting the start.
2: I believe Morone announced it yesterday that yes. Glennon was getting the start.
1: So that's yep. wild. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying Minshew's been good, but Mike Glennon, Sir Giraffe is is going to be back out there again. Whatever, that's fine. I, it doesn't mean much to me, but I'll say this much and then throw it over to you. And then I'm going to grab a water. I left it out in the other room. Um, James Robinson's workload has been egregiously high, and it hasn't mattered what the flow of the game has been. It hasn't mattered if they're up, if they're down. They they haven't won a single game since week one, and his workload, his volume only continues to climb. Minnesota's defense, while they are big favorites in this game, this is not a particularly good defensive team. I'm still willing to get to James Robinson because why not? Why would they? Why would Marone start getting away from him now when they've looked towards him 20-plus times, 25-plus times every single week? Floor's yours, man.
2: What? What is it going to take for you to believe in James Robinson? 10 straight losses? Because that's what it's been. Exactly right. He's been overcoming terrible situations every single week. And he ranks fifth in expected fantasy points. He ranks fifth in fantasy points over expected for running backs. He ranks fifth in points per game for running backs. And he's only 7,300. So Yes, that's the fifth-highest salary running back on the main slate, but I'm really just not concerned about it. I think that the Osmo projection lines up right in line with salary-based expectation, and this is the engine of an offense that is going to be, it looks like it's going to be down big, but is also implied for right around three touchdowns. I've said this already in this show. They've got to get those points somehow, and they're still banged up in the receiver core. It does look like DJ Chark and Chris Conley are going to return this week. But even them not being 100%, even if they get on the field, gives me a little bit of pause about a passing game that, in my opinion, they're starting the wrong quarterback. I still think Minshew is better in a vacuum than Mike Glennon. I don't make the rules, though. So I'm going with, by far, the most impressive and the most talented player on this offense, and that's James Robinson all the way. No sounds problem like, with them at a high salary. Sounds like we're on the same
1: page. Yeah. You can't – Matt Gajeski made a good point yesterday. He's like, listen, I, I – think I have a blind spot here because which I don't know if it's a blind spot anymore. If you've recognized, if you've identified your blind spot, is it, is it a blind spot or was it a blind spot? Nevertheless,
2: point is it's a leak now, right?
1: I think it's probably a leak. Yes, yes, yes. But has he plugged that leak and identifying it or do you have to actually have, you know, you
2: need to take take action. action, That's right.
1: You need to take action. Anyway, saying the, the, the leak or the blind spot, whatever you want to call it. And I think all of us have struggled with this all year long is, they're dogs in every game, and we hate playing running backs in in games that are where they're dogs every single week and they can't win. but unlike the Jets, you've at least have an offense that has been let, let's be fair to Jacksonville. this offense has actually been able to score some points, right? Outside of Pittsburgh, they've gone above 20 points in four of their last five games. so 29, 25, 20, 25. They can score some points, and we've seen them do it. They're also not a good team. But with Robinson, the remarkable thing is there's no other running back getting any touches at all. Like, no one's getting any carries. Leviska Chenault was the only one last last game that had a single carry uh, out of the backfield, other than Mike Glennon. And running back targets, what do you expect to see going forward? I'll tell you right now, it's going to continue to be all James Robinson, like last week where the running back position saw Robinson get six and no one else saw anything. Maybe it was Zigbo and uh, Gunbo Ali and those guys, whatever, fine. But last week, nobody but James Robinson. Volume's there, and I'm willing to latch on to that. Matt, what are you doing with the Vikings?
2: Well, I mean, of course, we're excited about Dalvin Cook. I mean, in a smash spot, the Jaguars have not been a strong defense at all. If you look at net expected points, or excuse me, expected points allowed per drive and expected points allowed per play, you're talking about a bottom 10 defense here. My only concern is that we're going to see high ownership for Cook, Jefferson, and Thielen, and I'm not sure all of them can smash in this spot, but we could see two of them at least smash here. So, of course... Dalvin cook looks like a worthy candidate of the running back one in both salary and projections. Of course, he's been number one in just about every relatable metric fantasy points, expected fantasy points, fantasy points over expectation. And you're talking about a defense that has given up five more fantasy points over opponent averages this season. So, you know, I create what's called, I call an X projection, which just takes their expected fantasy points and then gives them their Opponents' fantasy points over or under expectation. And Cook comes out to almost 30 points this week. So that's you're talking about 3x value at his high salary or close to it. So of course, it's it's hard to see anybody else as the highest projected or best player on the slate. But I have no problem creating a stack with Kirk Cousins. Two incredibly talented receivers. They said they're activating Phelan this week. He's sixth on the top stack tool Cousins is. And Just like against running backs, the Jacksonville Jaguars have been terrible against the pass and opposing quarterbacks. Fine with all of them.
1: Okay. Would you say how many of these guys are priority options for you this week?
2: I think think Justin Jefferson, just because you're getting a slight salary discount. But again, you're talking about a player who's really getting by on touchdowns. Even last week, he didn't get a huge amount of volume, but he scored twice. So it worked out for everybody who rostered him last week. But Phelan looks like one of those pay up to be contrarian options. When I see the top stacked tool rate a team this highly, but the projection of their top their top wide out is a little bit below their salary-based expectation, that's an opportunity for me to pounce. It looks like he's just 9% owned, so I could differentiate that way. So
1: a uh, longtime viewer and friend of the show, R. Stanley, says, Rudolph, the red zone reindeer. First of all, that's pretty solid stellar Christmas spirit and play on words. Well done. Blending in a little pigskin. Is Irv Smith going to be active? What do we have on Irv Smith? Yeah, he did
2: not practice. It looks like he's trending towards out last I checked.
1: All right. So if that's the case, I'm willing to get there as well. Yeah. Eight targets, seven receptions, 68 yards for Rudolph. Best game of the season actually his only double digit fantasy game of the season last week. He actually, um, I think he was second in the team in targets. Wasn't he? I yeah, believe he was, so. Yeah. Yeah. Second in the team in targets and Rudolph played how many snaps? What was
2: Yeah. He tied for second with BC Johnson.
1: I thought BC had seven and he had eight either. I guess it depends. Yeah, very on how close. Classify yeah. him. Yeah. Certain sites, certain places will say, Throw throwaway as a target and others will say that it was unintended for anyone, but 78% of snaps for Rudolph. Uh, I I'm fine with it. Honestly, I'm perfectly fine with it. 3,400. Let's see the difference and we'll move on here. Let's see the difference in ownership projection from him to Akins. You've got 15.5% on Akins and 4.7 on Rudolph at only a $500 difference. That could be a difference maker, Matt.
2: I really, really like that call. And also in my data deep dive, if you look at uh, the last chart at the bottom of the page is called PFF net advantages, where I take the offensive metrics for each position group, like run blocking, pass blocking, receiver groups, and I compare it to the comparable defensive metrics of their opponent. The the Vikings just light up across the board here in their composite offensive metric that I use. They're by far number one in overall grade. They're number one in receiver grade. They're number one. And in, yeah, a total pass advantage. So again, I am completely in line with Osimo's awesome ranking this week that has him as the t- top six stack this week. If you can get Jefferson and Thielen in a lineup, you're being contrarian because you're not playing Dalvin Cook, but I think you have a huge amount of upside, too. You're gonna have to make some salary concessions elsewhere, though.
1: For sure. And I saw some comments about well, that happened to Rudolph got those looks because Thielen was out. Not so quick. Chad Baby and BC Johnson combined for 14 targets. In the two games prior actually, go back one, two, three. In four games prior to that, they had five targets total. And they mm-hmm. had fourteen total targets last game. So if you're wondering where uh, most of, if not even more, of those voided targets for Adam Thielen went to, I would look to to those two receivers and less to Kyle Rudolph. All right.
2: Um, and I'm seeing a comment in chat here. I, I agree with Keenan here that there is a lot of hype around Jefferson. And just when you have a rookie who's getting this much media hype and keeps scoring touchdowns, it's not a terrible idea to fade them simply because <laughs> – at some point, that touchdown parade is going to regress back to a mean. You're going you're gonna to miss out. But we're talking about an incredibly talented receiver.
1: Yeah. And, yes, of course, Cousins threw more than usual. Yeah. But, like, when you're
2: playing two receivers
1: from – or two pass catchers from the same team, you're hoping that they're going to throw more than usual. Carlton right. says, that Rudolph jingle ain't new. Guess what? It is new to me because I never heard it before. All right, Matt. Cincinnati and Miami – you had the Bengals just dire straits here. Time to hang them up, close the season out early. 11 and point dogs. Can't tell you how happy I am to see the Miami Dolphins playing great football. 42 and point total. They're a legitimately good football team. They really are. Their defense is good. Their coaching is good. Um, I think Flores should should get coach of the year, at least where it stands right now. He's been awesome.
2: That's a great call. He's
1: yeah. been great, right? Like He's yeah. taken team last year that we thought was going to go zero 16 he got him to buy into the program buy into the system and play great football on both sides of the ball but I- I'll stop gushing over Brian Flores I've done this too many times in the past and start shitting on the Cincinnati Bengals no fault of their own I think Zach Taylor's been fine I really do um they've got they've made some great draft picks T Higgins is awesome uh he's going to be good they lost Joe Mixon they lost Joe Burrow they're in, they're in trouble, man. Like, I'm not going to, this is not me saying, Oh, can't believe what they've done to this team injuries crushed them. And uh, I think it's going to weigh on them heavily this week. I'm really not too interested on 11 games slated getting to Cincinnati.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, I fully agree here. And uh, with Alex Osimo Baker and you on Saturday, we talked about the slight appeal as a contrarian play of these Cincinnati receivers because of their general talent level and, Brandon Allen being at least a solid backup quarterback in this league. But as I suggested, we just saw a complete zapping of the offensive efficiency, which led to less plays overall and less targets, even in a losing effort. So you had Tyler Boyd lead the team with six targets. And yes, you saw Higgins and and Drew Sample have five targets, but A.J. Green had just three targets, and I don't think he caught any of them. So this is the type of offense we're talking about now. Low volume, low points scored. Without their two Joes, Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon, they probably are missing their two most talented players. That that could be argued. Higgins and Boyd are all very talented right now. But it's just hard to get excited about this offense, even if we have salary discounts on everybody. And I'm seeing Tyler Boyd as a relative discount compared to his projection. His 4700 salary is is fine it's 31st among wide receivers Higgins and Green are below that but I can't trust any of the metrics about their indiv- any of the individual metrics because so much of it is still based on their time with Joe Burrow and I just think this is a stay away offense with so many of their key pieces gone also they're up against a playoff team now that doesn't even need great quarterback play in order c- to control the tempo and pace of a game that's incredibly impressive
1: You know, if the season ended today, the Dolphins are in the playoffs. Yep. And that's why I was so frustrated when Tua got installed into the offense after Ryan Fitzpatrick. And look, was Ryan Fitzpatrick playing remarkably well? I'm not saying he was playing lights out, but he was winning games and the team plays for him. And I I thought to myself, everyone's everyone's reasoning was, well, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, so what's the point? How do you know they're not going to make the playoffs? What, what is to, what's to say they're not going to make the playoffs? They added a seventh uh, team to get in. I think they very, very much could make the playoffs this season. And after they win this week, unless by you know some strange twist of fate, they end up losing to the Bengals as monster favorites. They're going to eight and four. They could, they could potentially, in a couple of games, be leading this division. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but my point, Matt, is that we saw Brian Flores say that Tua's status well, with that thumb could come down to a game time decision. Do you think it's possible that he changes his mind and says, let's keep Ryan Fitzpatrick in? I know that they won. I, I know that they won two of three games with Tua in, or maybe three of four. I can't remember. Is it possible that Ryan Fitzpatrick starts even if Tua's okay this week? Because if he does, I love, I love Devontae Parker again with Preston Williams out last year. And Ryan Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker healthy, that connection was massive. Uh, and I think we need to at least keep looking at that until the price gets too exorbitant.
2: Oh man, if if we hear that Fitzpatrick is going to get the start, absolutely all over Devontae Parker. And yeah, if I'm making the decisions in, that, in the locker room for Miami, I'm starting Fitzpatrick over Tagovailoa right now just because the metrics I care about for quarterbacks, Fitzpatrick still grades out. Yes, he hasn't been an incredible elite asset at quarterback, and he never really has been. But Tagovailoa is still below average in expected points added per play and just below average, decent for a rookie in true drive success rate. Fitzpatrick is still slightly above average in both those metrics. And you've seen him now, as I actually said in last week's show, that we would possibly have him leaning on his primary weapons even more than when he was previously... He was the starter because Preston Williams is on IR and Isaiah Ford, somebody who Fitzpatrick at times leaned on, is no longer with the team. You also had Jakeem Grant dealing with a hamstring injury. He wasn't 100%. You're was talking about a speedster dealing with a speed related injury. You're just going to get a ton of targets for that primary wideout. And that's what we saw with Devontae Parker. I have no confidence in that whatsoever continuing if Tagovailoa, especially injured, is under center. I will say that the person I would be most interested on the Miami side.
1: Miles Gaskin.
2: That's right. That's I hear right. I'm thrilled you. to get him back this week.
1: Go for it, because so am I. And I, I think there's many different ways to target this team. But if you go with Gaskin, you don't necessarily have to go full-out game stack and maybe they get it done on the ground because I have some, some trouble looking at anyone to run back Cincinnati with and might not even do it if I go with the Miami stack. Go ahead, Matt. Close this right. game out
2: yeah exactly exactly well said and you know miles gaskin with that uncertainty related to his injury he's 15th in salary among active running backs or hopefully active running backs at 5900 you're talking about a player who's top 10 in expected fantasy points per game he's performed a little bit under expectation but we're still in draft case fantasy points he's 21st among running backs and the matchup is fairly neutral. If you look at the, the Bengals versus the running backs, but then fundamentally you're talking about the team that should control the pace of play that should score plenty of points and is expected to win. We love home favorite running backs, especially with a little bit of injury uncertainty. We know the talent is there. Give me Gaskin all day.
1: I'm with you. I don't even have anything to add to that. Miles Gaskin. I love it. If I like him even more, if two is active, if two starts, I like Gaskin even more, but I like him either way in a spot like this. He was getting bell cow responsibilities prior to the IR stint. Uh, but yeah, if Ryan Fitzpatrick is in him and Devonte Parker, I love it. Uh, it definitely upgrades Mike Kosicki as well. I'd be on board with that. And while I'm not huge on his volume, I think if you're looking just to go full out like Miami onslaught, not having Preston Williams on the field does make a pretty significant difference given that he's been out since week, what week 10, and now you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick potentially starting again. Okay, Matt, four to go here. Before we do, guys, uh, all of our showdown content, everything, all of our showdown content, projections, ownership, top player tool, uh, all of the articles. You can be, they can be had for less than four dollars a week, three ninety-five a week, and that includes, by the way, non-showdown stuff, main slate, real slate stuff, uh, the the express top stack tool, express lineup builder. The rankings, there's a lot that goes into that for less than $4 a week. If you're someone that's working on a budget but still wants to get some great content, give yourself a competitive edge in some of these large field tournaments or even cash games, smaller tournaments, you name it, we got you, $3.95 a week if you go to awesomeocom slash join. However, if you're looking to do more, if you if you want really the full experience, if you want to play PGA, if you want to play NBA coming up in just a couple of weeks, it's going to be huge. You want to get in an NFL, MMA, NASCAR. We got, you know, e-sports. Anything that DraftKings FanDuel, these contests have, we have content for them. And you can get the Awesome Plus Platinum weekly, monthly, annual, whatever, whatever works best for you. We've got something for everyone. These are the tools created by the number one DFS player in the world. It's that simple. He uses them. We don't just stick his name on them. These are his tools that he uses and we use, and it makes people better players. And it makes people better, gives people a better understanding of the game and what it takes to win. So go to com slash join, check it out. Any package, any subscription, there's something for everyone. Even like I said, if you just want to go less than $5, less than $4 a week, the express package gives you all of the showdown tools and more stuff for the actual main slate. If you're just looking NFL. All right, let's keep it going, Matt four to go here. New York giants at Seattle, the New York giants implied total is pretty low. And while Seattle has apparently shored up their secondary a little bit, I refuse to look at last week's game against Philadelphia as an indicator that they are good. Uh, They are a little bit better than they were earlier in the season because you literally can't get worse than they were. But they're big 10-point favorites here, and the New York Giants have actually won three straight games. So kind of an interesting dynamic with this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I still think the Seattle Seahawks smoke the Giants, especially if Daniel Jones can't play. And that but spread
1: I would suggest the same thing.
2: Exactly. I, I, there's nothing I've seen in my numbers or my research that indicates that the Giants have any more of a chance than the spread implies. That said, we have seen an offense that has been slightly more consolidated, that's giving plenty of looks to Wayne Gallman, and we have some salary discounts here. Uh, If Jones is able to play, he's only the 16th highest salary quarterback at 5,500. And yes, the Seattle defense has played a little bit better over the course of the last few weeks, but we're still talking about a team and expected points allowed per play is one of the worst bottom five teams in the league. If you isolate just their performance against wide receivers, they're historically bad in giving up points to wide receivers this, uh, this year. So that could, you know, potentially lead me to seeing Sterling Shepard at 5,300 or even Darius Slayton at 4,600 as sort of off-the-wall tournament options. But I'm not excited about the Giants at all this week. Uh, Basically, you're just hoping that because of the game flow, they're forced to throw deep in the second half and somebody's got to make something happen. That leads me to Darius Slayton over the top and Golden Tate if you think that they just have to pass off second half and they're just peppering targets away.
1: If Colt McCoy starts this game, um, um, I have no interest in anyone. I don't care how bad Seattle is. Uh, another thing, too, is I, I, this is the one. I predicted this would happen against Philly. The Seattle Seahawks would mask their weakness at the, in the secondary by bringing pressure and getting to Carson Wentz early and often, and that's exactly what they did. You got a banged-up offensive line in Philadelphia, and they, ca- they came after him and came after him and came after him, gave him very little time to throw the football. And when he did have a clean pocket, he screwed it up anyway. But they can mitigate that weakness oftentimes by bringing pressure. And this is a Seattle team that last year, I think, was dead last in the league in pressure, dead last in sacks. But now they're finding ways to get to the quarterback. And, Matt, against this New York Giants line, I think you could see a very similar attack here if Colt McCoy is back there. I don't know if he's going to even have time to throw the football is my concern.
2: Yeah, they have moved up a little bit. They're now 26th in PFF's pass rush rank. Basically, what we're saying is they're around, they're getting towards that average group, that whatever group. So if they're up against an offensive line that just can't control the game and a quarterback that's holding the ball too long because he hasn't had enough reps, yeah, it's a it's a recipe for a disaster. We've seen it's a tale as old as time in the NFL. When you get the backup quarterback in there, you just simply cannot move the ball at all, and and. With the Giants right now, I said it on the Saturday show last week, they just play in a bunch of ugly games. Even if they win, it's not a game where you have to target it for fantasy. You know, you're talking about players who are outside the top 35 and top 50 in expected fantasy points at their position. It's just not exciting. Nothing pops off the page projection wise either. So I look elsewhere, certainly the Seattle side is fine, but I don't even need to run it back. Don't look at the
1: overall numbers. Look at what they've done over the past couple of games. They, their pass rush, I'm telling you, is is considerably improved right now. I don't know if they're disguising blitzes or, or what they're doing to get to the quarterback, but it's working. Look at that last play of Kyler Murray, too, the last play of the game, which would have been an attempt to tie it. They sacked him, never even got a throw-off. Uh, there's actually a good article on, on ESPN that talks Carlos about – Dunlap,
2: maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah, I, I think
1: Dunlap. that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, even uh, Jamal Williams was, or, or Jamal Adams, like they're, just, they're finding ways to get guys to the quarterback, and that horrible secondary doesn't look nearly as bad now because quarterbacks don't have as much time. Um, that, that's my take, and, and I think there's some legitimacy to that, but admittedly I haven't looked into it as much as I should. I've just watched the games, and that's what I've seen. Seattle, on the other hand, 10-point favorites, Matt. What are we doing with them?
2: I mean, what are we doing with Russell Wilson every week? We're trying to stack him up if we have the salary for it. We're looking at the quarterback one in salary, but quarterback one in projections, quarterback one in expected fantasy points. And even with that high expectation, he's top five in fantasy points over expectation per game. Yes, he's not cooking quite as much as he was earlier in the season. The pass rate over expectation for the Seahawks isn't quite as good, but man, we saw them really trying to get DK Metcalf involved. And (laughs) there was that whole beef, with, uh, with Schwartz on the Philadelphia side that would made for great uh, post-game media there, how he took it all personally. And we've seen on the other side of the field a little bit of a, a slowdown for Tyler Lockett. And that's a little bit concerning, especially because he's still sixth highest among wide receivers in salary this week at 7,400. That's a whole lot to pay for a receiver who hasn't been performing that well. That said, I mean, the matchup looks great. If you look at fantasy points uh, allowed above – or below expectation. The giants are right in line with expectation. And you're talking about two top seven receivers and expected fantasy points. It's going to take a whole lot more than this to get me off of Wilson stacks. Fine with it.
1: All right. So how about this? We've got the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals up now, and this is a game we got three to go. And I think only two of them we're really going to have to spend as much time on, but we've got three to go by the way. Uh, Appreciate all you guys hanging out with us all the time throughout this entire show. It's a long one, but we're trying to give you as much comprehensive information on each game as we can. Because not all of you have every day to watch every single strategy show and and everything and, you know, absorb all of that information throughout the week. Sometimes you just need one show to get you where you need to go. And, uh, well, hopefully this is doing the job for you. Le, uh, L.A. Rams in Arizona. The Rams are favored here on the road uh, by a field goal, forty-eight and a half point total. Uh, I'll give you my rant, and then I'm going to let you run with it, Matt. I think if there was ever a week—and I said this on yesterday's show, but I'll repeat it for those of you that missed it—there was ever a week to play Cam Akers. This is it. The, 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 and and I I want you to disagree with me on this because it'll be fun. The, the passing game for the Rams is going to be very popular this week. Right now, you've got. Uh, Robert Woods, 20 percent. Cooper Cup, 17.1 percent. They're going to be popular. And Jared Goff, I think, will see his ownership climb as well. Cam Akers is seeing his snap count increase. Now, it hasn't been particularly high, 27 and 26 percent over the last two weeks, but he's seen only one fewer carry than Daryl Henderson over the last three games and 12 more than Malcolm Brown. He's the more explosive back. We saw that with a 60-plus yard run last week. He has seven red zone opportunities over the past three games. And I think it's possible that Sean McVay starts to make that shift from those guys that have one combined run of 20-plus yards this season to someone like Cam Akers that can blow things open. He's dirt cheap. The the Hassing game is going to be popular. And Arizona's run defense has been considerably weak many times throughout the season. So right now at 0.2%, projected ownership all i need is five percent to get 20 times x, 25 times x or 25 x the field um 25 times the field sorry i'm uh i'm going to have some cam acres i'm willing to take some shots because if uh, if sean McVay decide that this is the week that he's going to start seeing more and we've already seen that increasingly become the case i want to be there for it and i don't need much of him to make it happen what are you doing with the rams matt
2: hey that's well said now i do want to temper expectations just ever so slightly we're still talking about daryl henderson leading the backfield and opportunity share but again if you start looking at efficiency cam Akers is blowing the rest of the backfield away right now if but you start two looking,
1: longest runs for the rams this year both are from cam Akers,
2: and, and it's kind of shifted to we kind of know this intuitively where the we, we can call them trap run plays or not the uh, the trap actual style, but it's basically first and second down runs that are nowhere near the goal line have a very low expected fantasy point per touch value. And that's obvious to people because most runs up the middle on first and second down early in a drive, don't go anywhere, don't do anything. So now that Cam Akers has actually been mixed in, in these, uh, I'd say less run specific opportunities He's actually really thrived. And we saw the opposite earlier in the season where he was getting all these annoying first and second down carries and looking like a complete dud. So while Daryl Henderson has more overall opportunities, I completely agree with you. We're looking at Cam Akers specifically. He's not quite at the top of quality opportunities, but it's changing enough where we want to catch that wave. And that's really what you're saying here is that this is a quality player who was drafted in the second round to be a star running back. Many people, including me in season-long leagues, and I'm losing money for it in some places, thought that this would already have happened. So I'm just waiting at this point. This is a player that, if you want to make a list every week of what player could score 30 points and change their public perception about them overnight, Cam Akers might be at the very top of that list. And against an Arizona defense that hasn't been great at stopping the run, and still with a salary outside of the top 30 running backs, this is the time to take advantage. We can't say exactly this week, but this point in Cam Akers' career, and maybe a long time after that blow-up game before he ever goes back down to this point. Josh Gillum says,
1: Cam Akers is one of those plays where you want to prove that you know more about DFS than them, literally a horrible play. I have no Ooh. interest in proving I know more about DFS than anyone. If you guys like the shows, you tune in. That's all that matters. But... When I see a team that's going to be very popular as a stack and two of the top three or four highest owned wide receivers are going to be from that team. And I watched against the Seattle Seahawks where Jared Goff threw for zero touchdowns and they had three rushing touchdowns on the day. Yeah. I'm willing to take an alternative approach for a guy that's going to be virtually unowned and has seen his opportunities climb week over week. This might finally be the week. If I can get five or 6% of that and take a shot, at him potentially being that guy and really not risk much uh, if you're playing a lot of lineups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I'm 100% willing to, willing to go. And,
2: and really what we're talking about here is not necessarily that. We, yes. We think Cam Akers is talented. We're, we're hinting at that, but what we're leaning to is just running back uncertainty. This is not the exact same situation, but remember when Christian McCaffrey came back before he hurt his shoulder and they, we're giving us coach speak all, season, all week long about how Mike Davis is what, was going to be equally involved. The reason Christian McCaffrey was a good play is not only because he scored a bunch of points, it was because of that uncertainty yep. surrounding his opportunity. And what we're really saying is that at some point, we think that Cam Akers is going to be a workhorse, and we want to be there when that happens. You yeah. don't have to have him at 50% ownership to believe that this week. Correct. And I can tell you,
1: you can go rewind the tape, and I, and I think, I believe you were too saying Christian McCaffrey is a guy that if he comes in at this absurdly low ownership, you need to be playing him this week. We both said it. And that's, you know why? Because uncertainty can create good, real, really good situations. That's all. All right. Um, let's, let's move on. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I could, the passing game I is
2: strong. The passing game is strong in the Rams. We have, we've only no. hinted at it, but, but that's why, why it's popular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about Arizona? Still love Kyler Murray, even though he hasn't been quite as good. We're still talking about the number one player in fantasy points per game, number one in fantasy points over expectation, and it's not like his expected fantasy points are much lower. 22.5 DraftKings points expected. That's third in the league. Now, the Rams have been bottling up opposing quarterbacks. They're actually negative 4.5 points below below average fantasy points scored Her quarterback. So I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing the Osmo projection a little bit lower than his quarterback two salary this week. But he's still top five in the top stacks tool. We know exactly what we're going to do. If we can fit DeAndre Hopkins and him into a lineup, we're completely fine. And if they are in the situation where the Rams take control offensively and they're playing from behind, I actually like Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins as slight underdogs than I do in a favorite situation.
1: Interesting. And and I'll add just a, uh, I'll add a, a different wrinkle to this. Kenyon Drake last week was not only involved on the ground as much as you would expect him to be 22 carries in the loss against the Patriots, but he's now seen nine targets and seven receptions over his last two games. Those are his two highest target counts of the season back to back. Matter of fact, he didn't have a single game with more than two targets all year long. Uh, If Kenyon Drake begins to see that type of work, even four or five targets a game, which we've seen in back-to-back weeks now, uh, I I actually like him here only because, again, if you're trying to be a little bit different, get away from some popular ownership at a relatively discounted price point, uh, I can see myself giving a little bit more to Kenyon Drake, who's only running five fewer routes than um, Chase Edmonds over their last two games. So, yeah, I I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can tell you that the Rams have done a stellar job at, limiting opposing passing attacks. Maybe if this game's competitive, Kenyon Drake gets a ton of work on the ground.
2: Yeah, that's, that's actually a really nice call. Now, Chase Edmonds did end up with more overall targets on the game. So it's not like he's uninvolved. Of course. And Edmonds does take away from the ceiling of Drake. If you're talking about how to win a large field tournament, simply because he gets so many of those quality looks, as we've mentioned many times on this show, and he's talented as well. So, In large field tournaments, I actually like Edmonds a little bit, but I think what you're saying about Drake makes a lot of sense, especially because I sound like a broken record this week, but we get higher variance in these second divisional games or these late season divisional games. And so many people are going to be on the Kyler stacks, Kyler and DeAndre, Kyler and Christian Kirk, maybe even Kyler and Andy Isabella, that getting to the running game, when you have certainty, at least from a usage standpoint, and it looks to be on an upward trend, I kind of get that. I mean, Drake has been fine this year, 15th in expected fantasy points per game, though he's performing a little bit under expectation. He's 17th in points per game. Yeah, it's fine. Doesn't pop off the page for me, but as a contrarian play compared to the stack, I totally get it.
1: Yeah, just from an overall opportunity standpoint, if Drake comes in and gets another 20-plus looks and he's coming in at 2%, I don't think that's the craziest idea. Volume here is so important, and that's, that's what we're talking about. All right, Matt, two to go. Let's, uh, let's go to Philly and green Bay. I I know our boy Antoine see him in chat a lot. Always appreciate you being here with us brother says miles Sanders, 100 yards and a touchdown and that the Eagles cover and maybe even win. I can't get there with you, fella. I can't, I can't do it. I think they get smoked here. And as much as I love miles Sanders, I think Doug's going to abandon the run again because he's a bad coach. But I talked a lot about this yesterday, so I'm going to give you the reins and start making things happen, Matt. What are you doing with an, this Eagles offense that has been putrid?
2: Yeah, it's been ugly to watch, and I feel bad for you over there You're, with your Eagles fandom. But it's
1: all right. Just give me a top five, top six pick. I'll be okay. We'll we'll blow it. But
2: One of the other problems they have, too, right now is they know if they fire Doug Peterson, that guy gets hired in six seconds. So they have this ridicule of, yeah, he, he, Peterson – might be the issue. And I've seen some, some people say that, you know, their offensive mastermind was actually Frank Reich in that Super Bowl year. And since he's been gone, it's kind of been downhill from there. I'm not sure I can really speak to that at this point, but we're still talking about an offense that while inefficient is quite aggressive. If you look at some of the metrics I use in my data, deep dive early down air yards per second that adjusts for game situation, and then sees how deep and how fast, how deep they're throwing and how fast teams are playing the Eagles are still up there with the top 10 teams in the league. And then if you look at true early down pass rate, which controls for sample size and just sees how often on early downs they're throwing, it's quite a lot. Now that's only a neutral situation. So it takes out automatically all the times this season where Carson Wentz has just been forced to chuck the ball in the second half because they're already down. They've already played inefficiently. And, you know, I thought it was a little silly seeing all these, jalen hurts notifications on my phone all week long for him to only get two plays but what they're really saying to the public is that carson wentz is on thin ice it's that this is almost over and that there's a reason they drafted a high round quarterback and at this point they are almost getting to the point where they need to see what they're looking what they see what they've got with jalen hurts and if they get down big i think this week is going to be the one where that happens I like the bold call about Miles Sanders getting into the end zone and having 100 yards. And maybe that's the thing that ultimately saves them. He has a decent salary this week, 10th among active running backs, 6,700. But he's been way worse than that in expected fantasy points. And, yeah, the matchup's okay. It's okay on paper. But I, I think the Packers control this game, which leads me away from the running backs on the other side, period.
1: Yeah, man. His mechanics, Wentz's mechanics right now are absolutely shocked. It's, I, I watched the video on it on YouTube. I, I'd love to give the guy credit because it was a really, really good video.
2: Is it um, the Brett Coleman Film Room by any chance? Yes, yes, yeah, you, he's fantastic. You. He it is was an
1: excellent breakdown. Follow. Um I even tweeted him and 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 said, like, listen, dude, that was that was really good. Um th- yeah, it was it was Brett Coleman. The mechanics he, He's termo, a great NFL film. Pi- he pointed out the pigeon toes, the elongated stride. And then I watched another video on him uh, that was talking about how he can't hit he, he seam routes. He doesn't know what he, he can't hit players on seam routes and he ends up throwing guys outside on curls. He, his, his reads are off. Everything's wrong. Nothing looks good right now. And uh, I don't, I don't anticipate that being fixed. If the game stays somewhat competitive, then Miles Sanders could crush them. Like you would need, this is what you need. You need the Eagles to get the ball first pretty much. And just feed Miles Sanders all the way down. And you need to score and go up and then, like, get a turnover or something on a fumble and go up. I just don't. I was at the game last year mm. in Green Bay and it was awesome. Great experience. Lambeau Field's really cool. But Devontae Adams was murdering us until he got hurt midway through that game. We pulled off a win, an upset victory. And thank God, because I was really hammered, and it just would have gone down. It would have
2: been a bit of bad night.
1: <laughs> but everyone in Green Bay was so nice that it scared me. Like they were unusually nice. Like I thought I was going to turn around and they would poison my drink and take me back to their barn and murder me, Matt. That's how nice these people were. Look, no offense to you guys in Green Bay, it was awesome. I'm just not used to that type of hospitality. Okay, I can't
2: believe a Philly guy is is not used to hospitality. It's, uh...
1: <laughs> I'm used to hospitality among. Among our own people, but, you know, kind of some some tribalism around here. Anyway, I say that as a compliment, but at the same time, it made me nervous. Matt, what are we doing with Green Bay, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Robert Tanyan, your shot. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, and we talked about Robert Tanyan a little bit. Uh, I'm not as excited about players who are low volume, low snap share, and score a lot of touchdowns. But the bottom line is, at the tight end position, that's what you need. That's all we need. We don't really care about volume. It feels better, but often the chalk volume-based plays at tight end fail anyway because of the variability of the position. So I'd much rather have Aaron Rodgers, who, in my opinion, is still playing at an elite level. He's 4.4 fantasy points over expectation per game. He's actually only eighth in expected fantasy points and yet fourth in DK fantasy points this season. And of course, Devontae Adams, the target share king, the weighted opportunity share king, there really isn't any player getting volume on the level of Devontae Adams. He has a legitimate shot at having the most targets in the NFL at the end of the season after missing several games. That's the type of player we're talking about. I don't even care that it's a 9,000 salary this week, and that means he's going to have to have a huge game, 18 to 20 points in order to be a value I just, want to go, I just want to go there first and foremost. And the Stack Top Stacks tool completely agrees. They're third on the Top stack tool right now. Of course, Aaron Jones as a home favorite running back makes a ton of sense. But being sixth in salary and still being a part-time back, Jamal Williams still getting a ton of looks, I'd rather have the passing game. Other people can make a guess on those running backs.
1: I will go right back to Aaron Rodgers, and I will go right back to a Green Bay stack. They will wear this Eagle's defense down as teams have done over the past couple of weeks, and things will get ugly we' excuse me we've seen Green Bay do this on so many occasions and Matt, why would you not have in, first of all Aaron rodgers is is underpriced he's too cheap he shouldn't be under 7K he has thrown three plus touchdowns in one two three four five six seven eight games okay Set eight of eleven games he has four plus touchdowns in one two three for five of 11 games, and he has less than two touchdowns in one game. And that was that ugly loss to the Tampa Bay Bucks that Mm. no one can really explain away. When you got those type of numbers, why should I say anyone else? Why would I want to go to anyone else at at, at 6,800, especially when you've got Devontae Adams and I can plug in uh, one of these cheaper players like Robert Tanyan or Alan Lazard? To me, it just makes too much sense. Their top stack probability is also... Extraordinarily high. I'm on board. All right, let's do this. Closing it out with New England and the LA Chargers. Thanks to Josh Engelman, too, producing today's show. No Jordan Klein, he's out there in Vegas getting drunk and losing money, but I know it's a long one, so we're almost there. Thank you, Josh. The New England Patriots, one point favorites against the LA Chargers, 47 point total. What are we doing with the Pats? Hey,
2: I mean. Maybe nothing with the way Cam Newton has been playing lately. Yeah, I, I'm know, not interested. It, they did win on a last-second field goal, or you know, they they kept it close most of the game with the Cardinals, which I didn't expect. But uh, the only thing I really like about Cam Newton is if you look at that quality opportunity metric, I keep bringing up week in and week out, and you actually include quarterbacks in the goal line carries aspect. Obviously, they're not getting a lot of targets. Cam Newton is number one in the league in share of quality opportunities. What that basically means is they get close to the goal line and they're trying to smash it in with power with Cam Newton. That's appealing for a quarterback because you get those extra points, but it's really not that exciting overall of an offense to the point where I need to play him. There are other options in that salary range where I get equally excited. The Osmo projection actually has him worse than his 11th ranked salary expectations and then when you look at the backfield options it's still uh hard to guess what's going to happen we saw james white get a goal line rushing touchdown which is exactly why you would have played damian harris in the first place we saw sony michelle get activated and then get just two percent of snaps and get no rushes it's the same thing as always the bill belichick backfield is something we don't want to play the guessing game with yes in large field tournaments take your shots damian harris from a talent standpoint at 5,200, sure, sure, it's fine. But again, I would much rather play the Chargers side of the ball and just hope that the Patriots have kept enough points on the board so that my Chargers teams can get that offensive production that I want from them.
1: On the other side, you've got the L.A. Chargers and someone in Keenan Allen who has just routinely given us fantastic games. His floor this year has been remarkable. Outside of Week One, he has double-digit fantasy points in every game. Now, at this price, it ain't going to cut it when you give us ten or eleven fantasy points, right? Like you need monster games from from Keenan Allen, and you know there are some people out there that might say, "Hey, uh, I am a little bit worried about this matchup, Jonathan Jones, uh, when when Keenan Allen's inside and 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 Stefan Gilmore outside." Look, JC Jackson, JC Jackson, yes, has been really good. These, These guys are all. You know, I, I know Stefan Gilmore this year. People are going to, I'm waiting for it. He hasn't been good, Lafayette. Yeah, but he's still above average. Uh, and Keenan Allen is a well above average pass catcher. So at 8,100, though, I know you said you're interested in, in getting here. I still have some concerns that just there are so many good wide receiver plays this week. I don't know if I'm naturally going to be able to get to Keenan Allen. But I love Austin Eckler. Uh, the absurd opportunity last week with with 30 opportunities, 16 of them being in the passing game. Justin Herbert's the best thing that could have happened to him. Eckler is my guy this week. I absolutely love him, but I'm not enamored with anything else on the Chargers side of the ball. Close out the show, Matt. We did it. We're there. We've made it happen and you can put a bow on it right now.
2: We made it and we're talking about one of my favorite players in the NFL, Austin Eckler. I love him too this week. I tweeted this out earlier in the week. Austin Eckler has played three full games with Justin Herbert. You want to hear his per game averages? Let's hear it, baby. 14 carries, 10 and a half targets, three red zone opportunities. He's averaging 140 total yards and 24 and a half draft games points. Do we have to say more? That's wow. that's his three full starts with Justin wow. Herbert. Yeah. That's, you, that's as good as it gets, man. That's like McCaffrey level good, especially when you talk about a target share like that. Yes, and it does. It does kind of worry us about the floor and ceiling about Keenan Allen. He needs a twenty-four to twenty-six point game to be considered a three X value. Do I think that he has a ceiling every week of that score? Yeah, with Justin Herbert, he absolutely does. But Austin Eckler, man, he's it, just so fun to watch in space. His elusiveness is just really unmatched, and my data deep dive continues to show that, even though he's missed obviously most of the season here sixth among running backs in expected fantasy points per game and he's outperforming that on a per game basis uh Austin Eckler is just one of the best plays in the entire in the entire NFL this weekend at 7100 seventh among active running backs and if I'm going to get contrarian I'm probably going to do Hunter Henry before I do Mike Williams at that's at the same time you know 10 targets for a tight end. I just said in my last (laughs) diatribe about the the Packers that I don't like these low-volume, low-snap tight ends. Well, that means I obviously am excited about high-volume, high-snapped tight ends like Hunter Henry. 10 targets last week. We're not going to see that every week, but still, his previous games before that, oh, excuse me, yeah, before that, seven, six, seven targets for Hunter Henry. That's a great floor at a position. We usually don't get that. Yes, you're going to have to pay up fourth highest salary at the position, but I love it anyway. That's where I'm first looking as a stack if I'm not doing Keenan Allen.
1: All right, we're starting to, the stream's getting a little choppy here. So let's get out while we still have the chance. Uh, someone mentioned in chat, no talk about Chris Carson. Yeah, Chris Carson uh, going up against the Giants. No serious issues with that, but I will throw out the the fact that uh, I, I do worry that Carlos Hyde is, is going to continue to get worked in uh, quite a bit here. And I don't know if I can have a ton of faith that you're getting a $6,300 value out of him, out of, out of Chris Carson, when Carlos Hyde is, is going to get opportunities, but uh, Matt, very quickly your breakdown on Carson. Cause I don't think we hit on it.
2: Yeah. Of any time you have the Seahawks as smash favorites, you're going to take the starting running back from that team. You know, we saw him immediately involved in the passing game, which is something you, you are excited to see for Chris Carson, but, Again, I don't think he's 100%. We saw Carlos Hyde get goal line carries last week. The concern here isn't that there are going to be points from the running back position. It's where you're going to get them, either Hyde or Carson. I don't have any problem with him. He just doesn't pop off the page.
1: I thought he got hurt and left the game because of how much we saw Hyde work. Me too. Yeah, and then he came back. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not an encouraging sign. Maybe it changes this week. Who knows? But I do think he should be a little bit cheaper than he is. Guys, thanks for hanging out. Hit that thumbs up before you go. Remember, you can check out everything in podcast form. And, uh, oh, one more thing. Follow Matt at Draftaholic, myself at Lafayette underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D, and awesomo.com at awesomo underscore com. We'll see you back here tomorrow. I'm taking the day off. I get the day off. But you've got Josh Engelman and Alex Awesomeo Baker with the uh, lineup building show. It's a great one. Be there for it as we lead into week 13. And one more thing, the FanDuel Strategy Show, for those of you guys that want to hear FanDuel, Matt Gajeski, Kyle DeVorce, got you on that this afternoon. So much more coming up down the pike. We'll see you back here soon. Thanks for watching, guys.